At work, you're the trusted person who delivers. At home, you ride your Peloton, have the holidays sorted, and you're known to friends and colleagues as a badass, the one who's got their life sorted. Psst, I know your secret. You're fizzling with anxiety, like an antacid tablet dropped into a glass of water. Your sleep is horrible, your irritation is easily detonated, and you're constantly thinking about the next thing you have to tackle, even when you're trying to relax. In other words, you're frazzled, but almost no one would know. Today, we're talking about HFA, High Functioning Anxiety. HFA isn't an officially recognized anxiety disorder because you're still functioning after all. You push through, that's what you do. I know because I've been there. I'm joined today by coach and adventurer Charlotte Fowles, who's been there too. Charlotte was a busyholic, high achiever, an undeniable badass, but multiple miscarriages, depression, divorce, and a cancer diagnosis meant that Charlotte had to change her high-functioning, busyholic ways. Oh, and check your moles, she says. Charlotte took to adventuring as a means of living a life that lights her up. In fact, she's just returned from Namibia, where she's been on an elephant tracking expedition with a group of women, and she was just in Zimbabwe, exploring the bush in a 4 by 4 So we talk about what it really means to be a badass, a little side theme for today. We talk about how high-functioning anxiety might look like these little metaphorical fire alarms going off in your head all the time. Charlotte then shares how she helps her executive clients handle their high-functioning anxiety. Before we start, welcome. I'm your host, Dr. Mandy Leto, executive coach, recovering perfectionist, and um, a person who still occasionally falls into some high-functioning anxiety. This is a podcast for anyone who, in spite of their stellar achievements, secretly never feels good enough. You look like you have it together, but there's this chronic hankering for more, next, better. This show is a place to rest and a challenge to some of those exhausting beliefs. I'm so glad that you're here. Okay, so the Cambridge University Online Dictionary defines badass as something or someone you admire or find impressive. Perfectionists and overachievers might interpret that as keeping all the plates spinning, of course, while making it look effortless. I drop us right into the conversation where Charlotte and I are exploring a new way of looking at badassery and how that might sit in the context of high functioning anxiety. And way before I was ever in this work, I spoke about this, you know, the severe depression. And I spoke about it because there's so much shame around a lot of these things that people experience. So, um, you know, for me, uh, severe depression, you know, there's a lot of shame and still a lack of understanding around that. You have um, miscarriages that I've experienced. Like even the phrase miscarriage applies. You have done something incorrectly. It's so private. Keep it yourself. Don't tell anybody. You know, marriage breakdown. Like I, I lived it out and it wasn't an attention seeking or uh, anything like that. It was a please meet me here. Please understand. And I kept sharing because people kept saying to me privately, I can't share but seeing your share has given me hope or it's given me permission or it's made me feel less alone. So that was before I ever did this work and I've just carried on being authentic. And I think 
it's great because it shows that you can be if you want to call it badass like you if you can be that and you can have the fear so i recorded videos while i was away i've written journals while i was away on the recent adventure where you know i'm freaking out and i and i share that and i it, it's always received very well because i think the distance you you create a disconnection and a distance between anyone else and yourself when you hold yourself up as a perfect you know this beacon of someone who's got it all together it's just not true none of us do so everyone has levels at which they're comfortable to share but definitely i find i get a lot of deep connection with my audiences and people that i'm i uh, speak to because they can they can relate you know, they can relate to these things and they can they can see me doing some of the badass stuff and me saying this is really fucking hard i hate this today like this sucks or i'm really scared right now i got no sleep last night because i had to literally self-soothe for two hours because i was camping in a storm on top of a, a vehicle tent where i literally thought i was going to get blown away you know and i share that to show that you can still have deep joy connection success with all the other side so i i really want to keep sharing and keep encouraging others to do the same in an appropriate format of course lots of leaders you know it's not about oversharing but it is about this use of vulnerability if it's a other word i would just say the humanness of it it's so compelling listening to other people being vulnerable and authentic isn't it when Charlotte shares her vulnerability, remember what people say to her quite often. She gets comments like, I could never do that, but it's so encouraging and inspiring that you can do that. Author and shame researcher, Dr. Brené Brown, says that perfectionism isn't the same thing as striving to be at our best. Perfectionism is not about healthy achievement and growth. It's the belief that if we can live perfectly, look perfect, act perfectly, we can minimize or avoid pain of blame, judgment, and shame. In other words, it's a shield, a 20-ton shield that we lug around thinking that it will protect us. But it doesn't, of course. Healthy striving, on the other hand, is about how we can improve. Perfectionism is not about improvement. It's about managing our image. It's all about what will they think of me. So, from my perspective, perfectionism looks like a major contributor to high-functioning anxiety because so much of perfectionism is focused around image management, which reminds me of a study done in the 1960s by Elliot Aronson around impression formation. So here it is in a nutshell. Participants were told that they were going to be listening to a recording of a student trying out for a college quiz bowl team. So participants in the study listened to the contestants answering, I think, 50 questions and then talking a little bit about their background. So the most compelling of the contestants turned out to be a guy who answered really competently. But at the end, you heard a clatter and then his chair scraping back. And then the contestant said, oh, my goodness, I've spilled coffee all over my new suit. <laughs> this contestant, would you believe it, hands down made the best impression. And Aronson and his team concluded that the competence plus the coffee spillage made this contestant more relatable. He was impressive, but no longer intimidating. In other words, he was human. Something to think about for the perfectionists out there. And um, you don't have to spill coffee in your crotch to do that, just saying. 
I read this study in Dr. Ellen Hendrickson's book called How to Be Yourself, Quiet Your Inner Critic and Rise Above Social Anxiety. Highly recommended. Also very entertaining. Okay, I drop us back into the conversation where Charlotte and I are discussing some of the fire alarms going off in our heads. And it's not to say that having these means that you have high-functioning anxiety. Remember, it's not an official diagnosis. However, it doesn't mean that the impact of those fire alarms isn't real and even debilitating. My aim in this episode is to get you thinking, not ruminating and worrying at three in the morning, but thinking. Daisy Goodwin has written an article last week on high-functioning anxiety in the Times, in the London Times, which I'll link in the show notes. She shared some examples of ongoing fire alarms in her life, just so that you understand what I mean by fire alarms. So here are some of hers. Am I a good mother? Have I done anything worthwhile in my life? Is my cancer going to come back? Are my children happy? Am I going to get dementia? Here are some of ours. I'm starting to worry about my bones. There's no reason to worry about my bones, but I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't want to be one of those people that's hunched over and frail that has osteoporosis. And so that's one of the the little miniature fires that's constantly burning in the back of my mind. What's one of yours? I'll volley it over to you. Well, one of mine is, is, is it's a big one, but it's, um, but it's my followers would know it's been a constant is this the parent issue so won't go into all of the history but you know I've had a very traumatic history with trying to become a mother and I've recently had another sort of setback in that area uh, with a relationship that we thought was going that way and then the mind was changed but my mind didn't change and now I'm back and I feel like I've I feel like I've lost three years. I feel like I've wasted that time. I'm now older again. And what does that look like? And there are many different ways of family. Like that's a conversation from another time. But also I'm like, oh, okay. Like if this is what I want, how long do I have? Like, you know, and that scarcity kind of time running out thing is something that is not very helpful. I work very hard on this with my coach and things like that. And that's definitely a far arm for me. Like if it doesn't happen for whatever reason, and I have to go through that journey and process that grief, I'm sure I'll have a full and amazing life. I already do. But will there always be a bit of regret? Will I always have sadness? And of course, we don't know. So that's a sort of fire. And it's, um, yeah, Jennifer Aniston, as you probably saw, has recently spoken out, I think, in a Leo magazine about this. But she's on the other side. And one of the reasons I want to bring this fire alarm is one of the things that I really passionate about is there are so few tales of people in the middle not just of this situation but this is why this is so great you talk about firearms people talk from their happy ending hey i've got my baby now i've adopted my family and but hey i went through all of this like i don't have one in many instances i don't have this happy ending but i talk about it because i was missing and still am missing what i call tales from the middle so this is a great conversation this is my middle this is like I worry about that because I have a deep desire for it and maybe it won't happen and da 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 no. and doesn't think doesn't mean I think I'm gonna be happier. But definitely just someone listening might hear me go, I'm in the middle. This is one of my fire alarms. And it's something I have to constantly sit with and be with and hold as well as all the rest of the shit that I'm holding like the rest of us. Yeah. So yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's it's so important to be in the middle. As you said, it's so easy to, well, it's not easy, but it's different to share from the other side that it all worked out. And I think more of these fires are things like when we have a dream about something. I've had a book that's sitting with an agent for two years 
Is that ever going to come to fruition? Is it even relevant anymore? Does anybody care? And it's, I realized too, how much these hankerings for something where you still have to keep functioning and appearing a certain way and turning up for bosses, colleagues, children, pets, spouses, partners, ourselves, our friends, for for parents, it, mm-hmm. so many places where we need to keep showing up. And there is this hankering or this craving or this pre-dosing oneself with grief like what if it just doesn't happen so if I already start to mourn it maybe it won't feel so bad when it fizzles out and doesn't happen Mm. and then there's those smaller little fire alarms that are also going off like I don't fit into those pants that I spent a lot of money on and I don't know what's going on with that I just realized for myself and also witnessing you and the space that we hold for our coaching clients too is how much space these fire alarms take up and how they contribute to this HFA, this high functioning anxiety, Mm -hmm. because wondering if you took toast bread out or, you know, knowing that whatever you have to book an appointment that you've, you're long overdue. I'm like nine months overdue for a dentist appointment. Like they're sending me, please, like, please final call. And I just thought all these little things cumulatively also become fire alarms 100% I mean I thankfully because this is what I help people do I'm 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 better with many of them but they are still there and what I love is um reminding people of Professor Steve Peters book the chimp paradox about where he talks about the monkey mind or we call the lizard brain whatever you want to and a lot of these things come when we wake up in the morning and just to remember that the chimp, in inverted commas, is in charge between 11 a.m. and 7, I'm sorry, 11 p.m. and 7 a.m. or whenever it is you go to bed, usually. And I notice that now when I wake up and think, well, this is a crazy thought. And that's these little fire alarms going off. I'm just going to like sometimes write them down as helpful and just be like, oh, it's the chimp brain. And that just that knowledge is really helpful because when we are depleted in any way, so maybe we have too many fire alarms and it's making us feel stressed. But when we are stressed or hungry or tired or any of them, a lack of optimum state, that's when these things also become, they seem bigger and worse and stuff. So that really, that really helps me when those fire alarms go off. But for me as well, it, 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 you know, I've had so much health related trauma also. And especially after, I still have a lot of checkups after having cancer and chemotherapy, which I'm very, very grateful for, of course. But I, I have what I call health admin fatigue. And I think this can be applied to many things. Parents, for example, not have parent fatigue, as in all the decisions with the kids, like have they got their school bag packed? Have they done the school lunch? Is it dress up day on Friday? Like, is there something crazy going on for Halloween? Do I have to bake something for the blah, 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 blah. Like all of that. So that you can use my version is health admin fatigue, which I know lots of people with longer term conditions also really relate to, which is just the admin of yet another appointment. This is why. I had this is a big fire possibly going off in my mouth is the dental appointment. It started years ago with all the miscarriage and baby related and investigations and other traumas and stuff I was having. I had no space for any other health stuff. I was like, it'll have to wait because just the constant going to the hospital. And then I and then I had a injury trauma to my leg, and then I had mental health stuff, and then I had cancer, and then I had something else. And you know, it's just it felt like constantly. So I was like, I can't do. Another another appointment. I just can't do it. 
According to Johns Hopkins Medicine, the symptoms of high-functioning anxiety most often align with those of generalized anxiety disorder, which include excessive worry most days for at least six months, restlessness, difficulty concentrating, being easily fatigued, irritability, muscle tension, and sleep problems. The Times article I referred to earlier adds that people who experience HFA might also have trouble relaxing. Hmm, don't know anyone like that. And they also dislike having their plans disrupted because it can feel like being out of control. They might also have the belief that this very behavior has been the secret sauce of their success. I remember a friend telling me a couple of years ago, Mandy, you think you're so successful because of your perfectionism and because you're so hard on yourself. And then he shook his head. You've been successful in spite of that, not because of it. Wow, that was an aha moment. But actually believing that and more so letting go of those habits, well, that's another matter altogether. That involves the deep work of self-compassion and self-forgiveness, which is all the stuff we talk about here on the show. Remember Mark Silverman from episode 19? Mark spent his life as the golden boy, the one who did everything right, the one who everybody liked. And then he blew up his life and his mental health crumbled. During Mark's healing process, he said that it felt like a death letting go of the habit of beating himself up. Self-forgiveness is hard fought, especially when my, my ego structure and who Mark is is predicated on beating Mark up. Letting go of that is like a death. You know, it felt, you know, letting go of beating myself up felt irresponsible. It's like, if I don't beat myself up, who's going to keep this whole thing in check? Like, if I don't absolutely trash myself, who is going to keep me from ruining everything? And to forgive myself uh, was blasphemy. And now it's, again, my, our, biggest, our biggest weakness, our biggest tr uh, challenge is my biggest strength. Charlotte and I are going to share a few ideas on what you can try if this episode resonates. And remember, please consult a therapist or a medical expert if you're experiencing anxiety. We are here to start a conversation, but every situation is different. So please seek help if you're struggling. It's interesting, the myth I often hear about the work I do with people to address the inner critic is, but this is what drives me. Like, if I don't have it, if I don't have this thing telling me I'm lazy and I, I'm only successful because of this, this and this, then I won't be successful. And exactly as you say, it's in spite of, and it's just not true. So my offering is to be open to the possibility that for example, I work with lots of people on this and I have seen this and I understand it because I have also felt it. Like, this is what drives me to exercise, calling myself a fat bitch, for example. Like, that's a horrible way to talk to yourself. But that's, you know, now I don't. But, well, I, if I'm not hating on myself, why would I do that? Why would I go to the gym? Be open to the possibility that when you develop through working with someone like yourself, like me, or, or anything, any sort of development that allows you to let go of some of these pieces you can't do it all at once because you're clinging on so tightly but a little bit of the pieces and to de develop a deeper self-connection and self-love that comes from a good place you are way more successful this is such the irony you are way more happy you are way more because you're driven by purpose passion peace you're not driven by a need to fill in something you feel is missing 
And I know, I know if you're listening, I know that doesn't feel like that is correct. So I would invite you to be open to the fact that that is true. And I'm aware that as far as I talk about taking any sort of break, whether that's a few minutes or a few weeks, people with high function anxiety that believe that they can't possibly do that, that may give them like anxiety literally. So do some self-soothing, start tapping, breathe it, breathe, breathe people as I'm saying that. But actually, again, Brené's work, her most recent Atlas of the Heart, she talks about the and the only piece of action when you're approaching overblown and burnout is nothingness. Because you don't make good decisions from that place. Okay, a little recap. Number one, perfectionism is not the same as healthy achievement. This is important because so much about high-functioning anxiety seems related to impression management and maintaining this certain image, all that badass stuff, keeping all the plates spinning. So what could healthy achievement look like for you if you identify as an overachiever or perfectionist? Because so often good enough really is good enough. Number two, Competence plus vulnerability makes us more relatable. And yes, that includes you. So how could you allow more of your humanness and your ordinariness to exist alongside your very obvious competence? Number three, be open to the possibility that being super hard on yourself and driving yourself relentlessly isn't necessarily the secret sauce to your success. Maybe, just maybe, you've become successful in spite of, not because of, your relentless drive. Number four, the monkey mind that Charlotte referred to. Oh my goodness, that was so helpful. So question any dramas that your mind is telling you between 11 p.m. and 7 a.m. Next, I ask Charlotte how we might loosen our bony death crib on ways of being that you know deep down don't serve you anymore. I suspect a lot of those messages were laid down in childhood years. So I ping back to Daisy Goodwin's article in the time just for a second. She says, and I'm paraphrasing now, that she once spoke to a journalist who interviewed high achievers and he could always predict the first biographical paragraph way before he met any of those people. It would always contain some kind of trauma or bereavement or illness. He said that people with happy, carefree childhoods don't spend their lives worrying about or imagining the worst. So learned behaviors, they might feel permanent, like they're part of us. But as Mark Silverman shared, change is hard fought. And it might even feel like a death of sorts, but it is possible. So the fire alarms, they're likely to never go away. Nor will the inner critic that insists that you're not doing enough. Bummer, I know, sorry about that. But Charlotte shares something you can try to loosen your grip on this old programming. I think the first thing is to realize, as one of my favorite phrases, that everything is made up. So what we think and feel about this came from somewhere and that was made up. That's a rule or it's a belief or it's maybe it could even be like a religious quote or upbringing or, uh, I mean, there's just so much crap out there in the sort of world about whether you want to call it hustle or this, that, or the other, you know, if you, you don't deserve things, whether that's success in work, unless you work hard. Now I know this is a very unpopular thing. The opposite of that is not popular. We want to believe 
that we have earned our success. We want to praise ourselves for hard work. And that's great. The problem is when that flips, it's too, it's too easy for that to flip. So if you do not accept that you are worthy regardless of what you do, you will never get out of this trap. Now, of course, that accepting you're worthy regardless of what you do takes some time. And I think that's a lot of the work that I do with my clients. I had an amazing client, I think she's written about it, a testimonial on a website, but one of her examples, she could not even allow herself to read a book for pleasure because she felt it was unproductive. Like she could not read a book. <laughs> she couldn't even just sit and read a book. And then she was able to. And so, but it, it's a long undoing of all this stuff. And one of the first stages is this awareness that, A, I have this thing and these thoughts, that's interesting. And then a kind of a questioning, like, it didn't have, it's not even therapy. You don't have to dig into where it came from to know that the facts are everything we believe, our values, our beliefs, they were all put in there. They're all a mishmash of our conditioning and our upbringing. You don't have to analyze it to know that you didn't, you were not born that way. So if you can accept those things that they came in and you did not choose for them to come in, the next stage is like, well, that's not actually mine. That's okay. So then you can start to actually work with that. To finish, Charlotte shares a nifty trick on how she handles her own inner critic. There's a lot around mindfulness and just allowing the thoughts and not labeling good or bad, just allowing them to be visitors. That takes a while to get there. But one of the, my favorite exercises is just sort of narrate them and be like, well, look at that. That's interesting. I'm judging myself for that. You know, I kind of almost don't even think them. I narrate them as if they're football results coming in or something, you know, as if I'm seeing you know, somebody narrating what's happened in the day's sport. I'm like, oh, no. and now I'm thinking that here's one of my, I haven't even allowed it to be a fire. I haven't unpacked. I got back a few days ago from overseas, five weeks, went somewhere else, immediately to a conference for two days. My house is an absolute shit show. And I'm just wandering around in it, laughing at it. Like, I, I don't care. But it could and used to, would have been source of shame. Oh, you're so lazy. You haven't unpacked. You're so messy and da, 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 And you should, 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 shooting all over yourself. And instead I'm like, nah, I'm not subscribing to that. I have no shame for that. I will get to it when I've created some space and I can do all of that and I can declutter. And a really great example I used to, I still use my clients, the bloody to-do lists, right? I love a list. My brain forgets things because there's so much in it. <laughs> I put so much in it and I have to remember things. Obviously, like you probably will relate to running our own business. So I write lists so I can remember. But I used to have post-its everywhere. And it, you know, it's like just giving me anxiety just looking at the <laughs> post-its with the lists on. And I keep them. And when I'm in person, people can see and I'll show you them here. This is just a few of I got rid of all of them and I kept them in a pile and I still have not done most of the things on these lists which are now getting on for 18 months old and no one has died and everything is fine and it you know that there's an element of reminding myself that a lot of the shoulds we put in there they're not ours they didn't come from us and literally no one is going to die. And I know that sounds dramatic, but the anxiety is your body responding as if something is life-threatening. And we know that. I ask every guest to leave a brick of wisdom 
And let's circle back to where we started, where we were playing with the concept of what it means to be a badass and the myth of the badass. So what would you say to conclude for any aspiring badasses who have made it through the journey of our conversation? What wisdom would you leave them with? Everyone's definition of badass is different. You decide yours based on something that lights you up something that brings you joy. If you notice yourself slipping into ego, proving self, what somebody else thinks, it's not It's not your North Star. You can be a badass and there's many different levels of it but and everyone's levels are different. But base it on something that lights you up. I don't have stats for other countries but approximately one third of U.S. adults will be affected by an anxiety disorder in their lifetime, according to Brene Brown. She adds that worrying and anxiety go together, but worry isn't actually an emotion. It's the thinking part of anxiety. She describes worry as the chain of negative thoughts about bad things that might happen in the future. And this is uh, not to get you worrying about your worrying. I hope you found some useful leads and strategies in this episode. And it's a reminder to seek support because it's challenging to work through an anxiety disorder without professional help. Thank you, Charlotte, for playing with us today. You can find her at charlottefowles.com, which is also in the show notes. And who do you know who needs to learn about high-functioning anxiety? Think of the badasses in your life who look like they've got it all together. And thank you in advance for sharing. I'm taking away Charlotte's ideas about badassery as being more human. And yes, that includes perfectionists and overachievers too. And also exploring what lights me up. Thank you so much for being here. Let's do this all again in two weeks. And in the meantime, find me on Instagram at Mandy Leto.